0: The Magical Mystery Tour is dying to take you away. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter Book Club for Lonely Hearts.
1: Welcome to the Ministry of Magic. Please state your name and business Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, Ginny Weasley, Neville Longbottom, Luna Lovegood. We're here to save someone, unless your ministry can do it first. Half a dozen badges slid out of the metal chute, where returned coins usually appeared. He glanced at the topmost one. Harry Potter Rescue Mission.
2: I'm Heather price right?
1: And I'm Alex Dallenberg.
2: And yo, we are really, really, really near the end of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This week we are reading the chapters called Fight and Flight and the Department of Mysteries. In this podcast, you will hear spoilers. We are back to our old ways in terms of cursing. Were Um, we ever not? No, we briefly thought we might curse less, and then that went to hell, and now we (laughs) curse again. In addition to spoilers and cursing, and sorry to be heavy for a second before I do the joke adult themes, this episode does contain adult themes that some listeners might genuinely be uncomfortable or just prefer not to listen to we will have a conversation that is not graphic, but that does talk about sexual violence and rape. So consider this your content warning.
0: And we'll chime in right before the segment begins and uh, tell you what timestamp to skip ahead to if you want to skip the segment.
2: So end of serious adult theme, which is actually for adults, and beginning of this week's actual adult themes. So, this week's adult themes are Forced Marches, Woodland Creatures, Archery, Quiet, Too Quiet, and the Monty Hall Problem. (laughs) Which is like... Those
0: are good adult themes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you think so.
2: I'm glad you think they're funny. You did come up with them, or half of them. Alex, my dear, what happened this week?
0: In this week's chapter's Harry... Hermione. That is a really loud bird outside outside the window. (laughs) I have no idea if it showed up on the... uh...
2: It's like extremely loud. And
0: the window's shut too. I know. This week's podcast will also feature bird sounds, which I think wins at some points on the predator scale. So... (laughs) For a long time long time listeners will uh will know what that means. Anyway, in this week's chapters You can
2: still like really hear it. Chickory, chickory. That's not what birds say.
0: I think it's what they say. Okay, go on. What are they saying in Slaughterhouse Five? That's like a recurring theme. I forget. In Slaughterhouse Five. There's I some kind remember. of like onomata like mem- I like guess it's not that memorable, because I forgot. <laughs> there's like a famous onomatopoeia. It's not like will. I just looked it up, and it's tee Wheat, which, or like Pooty Wheats, Pooty tee uh, symbolizing the lack of anything intelligent to say about the horrors of war.
2: Well, like, which is actually you- fairly relevant to the conversation we're currently having, right? So um, that
0: bird outside the window is, is a commentary about, about the futility of Harry's efforts to prevent Sirius's impending death. <laughs> oh
2: God! Speaking Basically.
0: of anyway. Let me try this one more time. All right. This week's chapter is in one minute. In <laughs> in this week's chapters, Harry and Hermione are leading Umbridge deep into the woods where I wish I could quote this, the time. Into the woods to find it.
2: Into the woods without regret. The choice is made. The task is set. That's into true. Into the woods and not forgetting why we're on the journey. Into the woods... Do, 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 that's, we don't care how the time is now. Into the woods to sell the cow. Into the woods to get the money. I know the whole thing. Into
0: the woods to meet the centaurs. Yep. And Grop, uh, the task is set.
2: Into the woods. Into the woods. Into the woods and happy ever after.
0: <laughs> not happy ever after. Nope.
2: But not an uh, into the woods either. It's a mess. But the
0: choice is made and the path is set. The
2: task is is set.
0: The task is set. This this recap, that bird derailed this recap Into utterly. the woods
2: and not forgetting <laughs> why we're on the journey. Okay. Into the woods to tell you all what happened in the chapters now. Very good. Thank you. Uh,
0: so they're on the journey because Hermione has told Umbridge that he's, she's going to show her where Dumbledore's secret weapon is. So they're heading deep into the woods. Uh, into the woods. Uh, I- <laughs>
2: I'm sorry, I'll stop. I can't stop.
0: get past the, the phrase, woods. Into the Woods. This is where everyone's like, the Quibbler just jumped the shark <laughs> completely.
2: I was in Into the Woods. Who, who did you play? I was one of the evil stepsisters. I was the one that got my heel chopped off. Ouch. Into the Woods is disgusting.
0: Yeah, I like the first half.
2: What, where it's all nice? Yeah. The foot chopping off happens in the first
0: half. Oh, but it's like, their are comeuppance.
2: Yeah, but it's still pretty vile. Their shoes fill with blood.
0: It's like basically what happens to Umbridge in this chapter. So they I'm trying to get us back. We're back. Back on track.
2: Into the woods. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm done.
0: (laughs) Anyway, in this week's chapters (laughs) Harry, Harry and Hermione are leading Umbridge deep into the forest where Dumbledore is allegedly keeping a secret weapon to use against Cornelius Fudge and the Ministry. She is prodding them along with her wand and like tripping on brambles and shit. It's just kind of, it, it's a rough scene. Harry's not sure where they're going. It seems like they're on the path to Aragog's old place. Uh, I, I don't know, they're in like an unfamiliar hood at this point. It's creepy, it's forbidden. Hermione's being like very just conspicuously loud. Harry doesn't really know what her game plan is. When all of a sudden, they are set upon by but but bu, the motherfucking centaurs that live in the Forbidden Forest. Uh, I don't remember all these centaurs' names. Ferengi's not one. He's like back at school. Majorian, Magorian, Bane, Bane. Yes, Bane. Who's like? I was born in the shadows.
2: Oh my god. You think darkness is your ally, Umbridge? <laughs> You've only adopted the deck.
0: <laughs> I was born in the Forbidden Forest. Molded by it. Yeah, so the most hardcore centaurs are there. They're like, What the fuck are you doing here? Umbridge is like, How did you find us? Bane says, I had a haunch.
2: Shut up, Alex. <laughs> Shut your damn mouth.
0: <laughs> um,
2: oh, I had a haunch is so good.
0: God, I wish I was a horse. <laughs> my haunch is glistening in the sun. What is that That's from? from 30 Rock.
2: Oh, that's right. When he's, when, careful of my bones.
0: <laughs> wow, we're like six minutes into this. We and, haven't like, even given like pages. the first
2: slot point.
0: Um, they are, so there's all these fucking centaurs.
2: <laughs> leave a lot of this I intact. Will.
0: <laughs> There's all these fucking
1: centaurs.
0: <laughs> What's the... I don't know. Go on. What's so funny about that? I don't know. There's- Into the woods. There's all these fucking centaurs who are like... <laughs> you are losing it.
2: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm done.
0: It's okay. These centaurs are champing at the bit oh my to... God.
2: Also, it is champing and not chomping. It's champing at the bit. Don't at us.
0: (laughs) Uh, I think, like, an arrow whizzes past Umbridge's head. Anyway, the centaurs are like, get the fuck out of here. This is our, like, forest. Umbridge does not recognize her bargaining position here. She, like, immediately launches into a racist tirade against the centaurs. She's like, listen, this isn't your forest. You're only here because the ministry lets you live here. You're a bunch of... Half breeds,
2: subhuman intelligence. Sub- yeah,
0: uh, and you know the situation just devolves from there. The negotiations are exceedingly short. The situation completely deteriorates when Umbridge uses her wand against one of the centaurs to like tie him up. This is the straw that breaks the centaur's back. Basically, there's a big fucking centaur brawl. And Umbridge is carried off in the kerfuffle to God knows where. And then the centaurs are all standing around debating what to do with Harry and Hermione. One of the centaurs says, they're foals. We don't hurt the young and innocent. Another centaur says,
2: they're not that innocent.
0: Basically, yeah. (laughs) They brought in... (laughs) So many references. They're the ones that brought this ministry official into our woods. This one's almost a grown man. Let's... I, what are they going to do to them? Kill them. Yeah, I guess so. Shoot um, them
2: with their arrows.
0: Yeah, uh, so things are very scary. And and then...
2: Well, and Hermione like, tries to explain it and like makes it way worse. Yeah, because
0: she says, we just wanted you to get rid of Umbridge. So that pisses the centaurs off even more because they really don't like... To be made to do things for humans, so it seems like they're about to get turned into glue or whatever when, uh, but, 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 motherfucking Grop comes pounding through the forest. He says, Hagger, Hagger? Harry's like, oh, I wonder what he could be trying to say. Uh, fucking Hagrid. He's trying to say Hagrid. That's so obvious. Yeah,
2: Harry's an idiot.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, Grop recognizes Hermione, says, Hermie, and then starts basically kicking centaur ass.
2: But then they shoot him in the face with all of their arrows. Yeah,
0: it's, as I was saying, it's it's a bad scene. Uh, some of the centaurs run away. I think Bane is like, time to go mobile. And Harry and Hermione are saved in the nick of time and head back to the edge of the woods and are met by... Ron, Ginny, Neville, and Luna, who have triumphed over the Inquisitorial squad. They're looking a little roughed up. Neville has, like, a black eye. And, you know, they have various, like, scratches and battle scars. But they have Harry and Hermione's wands and return them to them. Harry's like, great, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for your service. Me, Ron, and Hermione will take it from here. We're going to London to save Sirius. To which Ginny, Luna, and Neville say, uh, we're coming with you. And Harry thinks to himself, I would pick these guys last for Quidditch, basically. Please don't come. So there's like some arguing, and eventually, and Neville says, Were you serious about the whole Dumbledore's army thing? I signed up for the army. I want to like fight, basically. So uh, Harry grudgingly relents, but at this point, they have no idea how they're going to get to London. When Luna suggests that they ride on. Buh 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 motherfucking Thestrals! We knew that Thestrals can fly, but they're like, they have like built-in Google Maps or whatever. They're like really good at finding whatever location you tell them to. Also, they're attracted to blood, and Hermione and Harry are covered in Grop's blood from the Centaur Giant battle. So all these Thestrals come out of the woods, and they basically board these spectral horses, and fly them at breakneck speed to London.
2: Crazily, half of them can't see what they're riding right,
0: on. Right, so they're just like floating through the—they're just like flying through the air. That sounds utterly terrifying. Oh
2: yeah, the worst. Yeah.
0: Anyway, you will sit behind a team of spectral horses.
2: We are really in a musical. We mood really today. are. I don't know what that is. In but... the
0: sickest rig you ever see.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. After a hair-rising ride above the skies of Scotland and England, they arrive at the Ministry of Magic, where Harry's plan is to go through the literal front door. (laughs) They all crowd into the telephone booth that he and Arthur went through in, like, way back in, like, I don't know, the single-digit chapters, hundreds of pages ago. And Harry gives his actual name in the phone booth to the, uh, the automated operator.
2: His badge reads "Harry Potter Rescue Mission."
0: I, I love that though because wizards—wizards wizards are so—they're like literalists. Yeah. So uh, that is really funny. And uh, they are granted entrance to the Ministry, where unsettlingly, no one is there to greet them. It's completely empty. There's not even a security person on duty. They head straight to the Department of Mysteries, and the Department of Mysteries is...
2: Mysterious. It's
0: mysterious. So, at one point, they're presented with all these doors, and, like, is the floor moving? The doors, like, rearrange themselves? There's these doors that you go through and come out of... uh, They're basically on, like, the set of a farce.
2: It's like some noises off shit. Yeah,
0: uh, but there's there's all these doors. Uh, they go through one, and there's like a tank filled with green liquid and literal brains. I don't know what the unspeakables are working on there. Maybe they're trying to prevent brain drain. Um,
2: <laughs> oh, fuck you. You know. <laughs>
0: so they're like, this isn't what we're looking for. I don't know. They go through like another door, and it's. The, the set of Prometheus or whatever. That's kind of what the Department of Mysteries reminds me of. Uh, various scenes from Prometheus. Kinda this is like
2: the fourth or fifth time you've mentioned Prometheus on I this podcast. I hate that movie. I know, and uh, you talk about it But the Department Lot. of
0: Mysteries kind of has like a Ridley Scott-looking, sinister, ancient feel to it. Actually, it's not the set of Prometheus, but there is a spooky looking ancient archway with a rippling veil over it. And Harry can hear whispers behind the veil as can Luna. And Harry is like inexplicably attracted to it. He wants to walk through it. Hermione gets really freaked out and says, hey, we got a job to do. Let's get moving. So, Harry reluctantly leaves the archway behind, and uh, they go through another fucking door into a room full of clocks and like an hourglass with a bird in it, uh, which Ginny thinks is super cool and wants to look at. And Harry's like, Come on, let's go. And she says, You wanted to hang next to like the death door or whatever? Like, uh, let me have some fun here. How often are we going to be in the Department of Mysteries? They press ahead into the room that Harry has been seeing in his visions for the entire book. It's full of these towering shelves with crystal balls on them. Uh, like, got a snow globe-looking things. And they look and look until they find Aisle 97, where Harry had seen Sirius, but Sirius isn't there. So Harry's like, oh, fuck! Hermione was right, like, I fucked this up, uh, where is Sirius? So Harry is dumbfounded when Ron says, hey, one of these balls has your name on it. Hermione's like, maybe don't touch that. So of course Harry does because he's noted for his amazing impulse control. Uh, He grabs the ball and then he hears a voice behind him that says, ah, very good, Mr. Potter. Now hand that to me. So it's a trap. And that's what happens in this week's chapters.
2: So what's Hermione's plan here?
0: There's not a lot of great planning in general in uh, these two chapters. I think they're sort of winging it.
2: I remembered this being a lot cleverer and cleaner than it actually is. Maybe it is in the movie. I think in the
0: movie she leads her to grop.
2: Yeah, because this is a mess. Like, I
0: mean... Hermione is panicking, right? No, I know. Yeah.
2: And Hermione like gets them out of there, which all credit in the world to Hermione just for figuring out a way to like extract them from that room to... and like get them physically moving toward a solution. She's
0: punting basically.
2: Yeah, and the punt is a wreck. <laughs> like the outcome here is really 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 nearly a disaster. And yeah, they
0: almost die.
2: They do on multiple counts. First, the centaurs almost shoot them, and then Grop almost steps on them. And overall, like, they might get the whole centaur herd killed. Yeah. That's actually really, <laughs> re- really messed up. That really is. Like, Grop might destroy Hogwarts's, like, ancient herd of centaurs, which is horrifying. Whoa. The bloodbath. That
0: is terrible. Or
2: they might get Hagrid's brother killed.
0: Like, Either way, uh, it's a lose-lose-lose, it's a except that they win, kind of.
2: Well, I actually don't all the way remember what happens. I don't think Gropp dies, and I don't think all the centaurs die. And I know Umbridge doesn't die. But I do think we should have a conversation about what does happen to Umbridge.
0: All right, we've reached that time. Uh, This next section contains the difficult themes that we mentioned at the start of the episode. So if you would like to duck out, skip ahead to minute 34.
2: I think a lot of you know what sort of some of the fan theories are about this scene. But based on sort of the mythology of the centaur, there are some really, really, really strong indications of sexual violence in this scene.
0: Yeah, centaurs traditionally, and I'm not an expert uh, on Greek mythology by any stretch, but traditionally they're they're sort of, they represent this tug of war between humanity's like civilized side and I guess the more untamed bestial side. And, uh, you know, in a lot of old myths, On the one hand, there are centaurs that are very wise and depicted as teachers. Uh, Specifically, there's a centaur named Chiron who teaches various Greek heroes. And then there are more untamed centaurs that get drunk at parties and carry off and rape women.
2: Yeah, so the centaur in mythology, like one of the things that this creature symbolizes is sort of rampant, untamed, and often violent sexuality. Right,
0: and they carry off women a lot. So it's like not that- and assault them. Yeah, it's not that accidental that we have this scene of Umbridge being carried away.
1: An arrow flew so close to her head that it caught at her mousy hair in passing. She let out an ear-splitting scream and threw her hands over her head while some of the centaurs bellowed their approval and others laughed raucously. The sound of their wild, neighing laughter echoing around the dimly lit clearing, and the sight of their pawing hooves was extremely unnerving. Whose forest is it now, human? bellowed Bane. Filthy half-breeds, she screamed, her hands still tight over her head. Beasts! Uncontrolled animals! Be quiet! shouted Hermione, but it was too late. Umbridge pointed her wand at Magorian and screamed. Incarcerous! Ropes flew out of midair like thick snakes, wrapping themselves tightly around the centaur's torso and trapping his arms. He gave a cry of rage and reared onto his hind legs, attempting to free himself while the other centaurs charged. Harry grabbed Hermione and pulled her to the ground. Face down on the forest floor, he knew a moment of terror as hooves thundered around him. But the centaurs leapt over and around them, bellowing and screaming with rage. No! he heard Umbridge shriek, I am senior undersecretary. You cannot. Unhand me, you animals. No! He saw a flash of red light and knew that she had attempted to stun one of them. Then she screamed very loudly. Lifting his head a few inches, Harry saw that Umbridge had been seized from behind by Bane and lifted high into the air, wriggling and yelling with fright. Her wand fell from her hand to the ground, and Harry's heart leapt. If he could just reach it! But as he stretched out a hand toward it, a centaur's hoof descended upon the wand, and it broke cleanly in half.
0: I don't think J.K. Rowling means for young readers to draw that conclusion. Well,
2: I mean, I actually have a lot of questions about what she means by this, because presumably she did some research. Like, she has written a scene in which the logical conclusion is that a character that everyone hates, the comeuppance that she gets, the the punishment that is meted out is a, a gang rape.
0: I don't think we, we don't know that. But though. that's like
2: really strongly hinted at. And that's what most of the internet thinks. Like, and she comes back like rumpled is kind of the word they use. Like there's a lot of indications that they don't, they don't kill her. Right. But they punish her.
0: In some unspecified way.
2: And in some way that is sort of like, unspeakable for her right there are also a lot of overtones in her interactions with the centaurs of sort of like feminine purity and the sense of like her virtue she fears them contaminating her in some ways like there is a lot of sexuality here in this scene
0: Right, And we're meant to regard her as, I guess the wizarding analog of an unreconstructed racist, basically. and racism contains a lot of like sexual fear
2: right and and fears about purity. and she yeah. is also con- there is also like a fairly strong tradition of punishment in the form of sexual violence or rape for women who are not seen as sexually deserving. Like, right. she's an an asexual or unsexual woman, and she isn't deserving of, like, sort of normal romantic or sort of, like, physical love. Like, rape as punishment for women like that has, like, a pretty strong tradition in literature and mythology. I just think, like, a- and she JK cer- is doing something fucked up here.
0: And she's certainly the most buttoned up and prudish of the characters that we've met so far. Like, she won't even let students touch their wands. She's, like, very...
2: Right, which is, like, pretty overtly, like, phallic. A a little bit, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: I just... So then, this sort of begs the question, because we just talked about Umbridge being the worst character in the series. Right. But I don't think that this is an, an appropriate punishment for anyone. And I think this is actually really barbaric to even hint at.
0: Uh, I think this is fucking dark. It's very dark.
2: And I really have major questions about what Rowling is getting at here. I mean,
0: is she just is she just drawing on some literally classic tropes? Like I use like classic as in like ancient Greeks and Romans, not like classic
2: It's just sort of one of the things that does bug me sometimes about Rowling's writing is sort of like wanting to have it both ways. Right. So like wanting to draw on those myths and those kind of classic tropes without actually invoking the plot.
0: Like grappling with the implications.
2: Right. She has written a scene in which one of, I would say, the only logical conclusions is that a female villain gets brutally, sexually assaulted as punishment for her misdeeds and I just like that's just not how you do things I, it's not an appropriate punishment for anyone and I don't like that you're supposed to sort of feel like oh yeah she like got hers because like no yeah
0: in a lot of ways I enjoy the centaurs in these books but there are some really challenging Elements to them. Another one that I noticed is there's a lot of noble savage imagery being deployed here, where, you know, the centaurs are, they're these really untamed creatures, as we've discussed, and they have access to, they even tell Umbridge straight out that they have a higher wisdom than humans, and forens obviously is like, One with nature and the universe, but they're also kept on, like, these virtual... Basically, it's described in this chapter as a reservation. The Ministry of Magic has set aside the forest for them to live on, which, of course, the centaurs don't see it that way. They're like, hey, we were here for a long time. So, um, they don't ride around on horses, obviously, but, um...
2: Well, they're part horse. Yeah, they're
0: part horse. So, and shooting arrows and... yeah. Stuff like that. So I, I I don't know. That's uh,
2: And that does play into some of the same kinds of imagery as the centaurs in Greek mythology. There are kind of like the canon of Western in a different way, like of the American West. Right, yeah.
0: The Westerns. There's a lot of women being kidnapped by Native Americans. I'm thinking specifically of Western films like The Searchers, which centers on an abduction of a white woman and uh, other mid-century westerns like that.
2: But I mean, that's, and that does kind of go back to what I was saying earlier. A thing that bugs me about Rowling is she sort of uses this imagery, but not very responsibly. Like, she doesn't use it in a way that I feel like bears a lot of, like, responsibility to the origins. Like... Kind of like Stephanie Meyer. A little bit like Stephanie Meyer. My- well, and one, the
0: werewolves.
2: One thing we know about Which Rowling, were roughly
0: based on an actual uh, legend of the Quileute tribe, which we discussed back in The Nibbler.
2: But this is the thing we know about J.K. Rowling. She is uniquely bad at writing about indigenous populations in the Americas. Her right. writing on Pottermore about the Native American wizards in North America was Atrocious. It was pretty
0: universally it was panned. Really
2: fucking badly done. Like she could have, she could have done a a day of really good research and come up with something more nuanced and less racist. So these are tropes that she shouldn't borrow from because she's not good at it. I mean, I, th- I think
0: this is complicated because I mean, the centaurs are part of the Western canon, but right. in this case, they're. Are we reading in...
2: The noble savage the, imagery? Are
0: we reading in... Are we reading in allusions to Native Americans and other indigenous people? Or are those just sort of natural parallels when we're talking about, like, these older Greek myths that we're drawing and rolling may not have?
2: That's fair. That's a good question. And it's, it's totally possible. It feels... I mean, I guess just because that's, like, the kind of, like, cultural canon I'm much closer to.
0: Right. Because, I mean, Rowling's not an American.
2: No, that's true. So, you're right, and it's totally possible that I'm reading these images into the centaurs and they're really not there because the centaurs do just come from Greek mythology.
0: And there are other centaur-like creatures in other
2: traditions, traditions,
0: uh, mythological traditions. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess the question is... How does her clunky treatment of some of these more delicate themes affect our reading and enjoyment of these books?
2: I mean, it it certainly makes it harder as an adult than it was as a kid, because as you said, she didn't write these books expecting 15 year olds to be like, oh, now Umbridge is going to get ritually raped by horses. But she still manages to imply that. And it's a weird look and i do think that she she really likes to use other traditions including you know her own traditions but like mythology and and other sort of like magical traditions as sort of like spices like yeah. she just kind of like sprinkles them in and When you're a younger reader, it's actually really exciting because you're finding kind of like the allusions. Like it's very exciting to figure out like what all the names mean and like oh like Remus Lupin means like wolf wolf. (laughs) Um, But I feel like as you get into them more critically, you're like a lot of this is deployed without a lot of like deftness and it leaves you with a lot of questions about what she meant and kind of how she expected things to be taken and just like she didn't clean up a lot of the like edges of these things. Like I think the house elves are another really good example that we've talked about over and over and over where it's like you created a slave race and you didn't super deal with that fact ethically. I mean she
0: does and she doesn't.
2: And you can't expect an author to like, well I don't know I guess that's a question. Can you expect an author to be sort of like personally responsible for the entirety of her world building? Like, she is, but do all of the kind of, like, unintended or, like, small or one-off, like, consequences and outcomes of that world-building, like, does that all go back to her?
0: Right. And should every chapter be making, like, a moral point about how the world should be? Like, does the book need to be perfectly, I guess, I I don't want to use, like, the I guess, woke, basically? No, Like, does the book need to be perfectly woke?
2: Of course not. But this is a pivotal plot point in which a loathed character gets a punishment. And I do think it is worth deciding whether the punishment that she is pretty strongly alluding to is A. Satisfying and B. Remotely appropriate. Right. And it's like surface level... Getting her comeuppance from centaurs when she's so bigoted toward like part humans or like non-human magical creatures is great. But then when you think about what's implied that the centaurs do to her, you're just like hold up, time the fuck out, like no. Just like she should go in front of like a court. Also I just don't believe in extrajudicial punishment for like crimes. And I don't think that like feeding her to the centaurs And I know that Hermione doesn't intend any of this to happen. Hermione is just, like, in total panic mode and, like, how do we, like, physically get out of here? Right.
0: But our author does. But our
2: author does. And our author has made this really specific decision about this thing happening to Umbridge and the thing that she implies happens. I mean,
0: yeah, a lot of the worst things in this book happen to women and women that we're not supposed to like. Yeah. Like, Voldemort kind of gets off easy.
2: He's, he's okay
0: Rita Skeeter gets put in a jar for weeks.
2: Aunt Marge gets exploded. Yeah. No, it's true. I, I think it is fair to say that, well, I mean, you know, a lot of the, like, characters we love that die yeah, are that's men. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the female villains get particularly cruel and creative and, like, nasty punishments. This is a really nasty thing to have happen to a character. And I guess it's not technically canon that this is what happens, but like, it's just really, really, really strongly. Well, I mean, implied. Whatever
0: happens to her is not good, right? You know, she's either going to get beat to death by the centaurs or like an arrow put in her head, right? Because the they're other not going to avada kedavra her, which is a relatively humane way to go.
2: Well, and they don't kill her, and the fact, okay, like just in our kind of conception of what punishment means, right. They don't kill her, but they do something really bad to her. Right. And it's just like, it's not a lecture. They either torture her in some other way or much more likely based on all of the sort of like surrounding mythology and cultural understanding. Yeah, they fucking rape her.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, um, that was heavy.
2: Yeah. And, you know, this one is kind of a landmine. And we knew it was going to be. And we were actually really nervous about talking about this. But I don't think we could have talked about this scene without having this conversation. Yeah, it
0: felt at first I was like, do we even want to get into this? But then I thought that seemed like intellectually dishonest, so. But if thought, you have
2: a different take or if you have feedback on how we have presented this take, always send us feedback. But in particular, when we like have possibly stepped in it, like send us feedback. Okay,
0: okay so let's find our way out of this deeply forbidden forest. <laughs> And talk about Harry being a fucking asshole.
2: Yeah, all of that being said, Hermione has at least done something. And Harry's like, oh, well, that worked out.
0: Yeah, he's complaining. He's like, <laughs> after after Umbridge is uh, swept away, he's complaining that Hermione's plan is terrible. Now they're deep in the forest and they'll never save Sirius. And it's just like, dude, you had no Better ideas. You weren't offering any alternatives to this. His alternative was, torture me, I'll never tell.
2: Which is just takes a lot of time. (laughs) It's just like an eminently time-consuming pursuit to be tortured into hysteria. But I
0: mean, I I get it. You know, Harry's under a lot of pressure. He thinks his godfather is also about to be tortured. So, I don't know. Just
2: really an enormous amount of torture. So then, Neville, Ron, Luna, Ginny show up, having valiantly fought their way out of the clutches of the Inquisitorial Squad and hopefully done some significant damage to some Slytherin assholes.
0: Yeah, he, Ginny uses the bat bogey hex on Draco.
2: Oh my god, and there's just bats on his face. That's <laughs> such a good hex.
0: Draco bat turns, face Malfoy. It
2: turns your boogers into bats. It's disgusting. <laughs> like truly foul, but so good. And they're all like, okay, cool. So, like, adventure time. And Harry's like, you're not coming with us. Yeah,
0: I didn't pick you.
2: And they're all like, uh, well, we're here. And you, once again, have no plan. And you don't know how you're getting there. And we figured it out. So, like, fuck yeah, we're coming. I
0: forgot that Harry was so dismissive about, about this other contingent of Dumbledore's army joining them. He thinks to himself... That Neville, Ginny, and Luna are the last members of Dumbledore's army he would pick to is, join him on an adventure, which is
2: Just not very strategic of him. No. Ginny turns people's bookers into bats. Ginny is actually we should just replace Ron with Ginny as the Weasley that goes on adventures. <laughs> Straight up. Ginny is significantly more useful than Ron.
0: More to the point okay, I can kind of see Wanting to pick Neville and Luna last for Quidditch or whatever, but...
2: Well, but Neville has proved himself over and over to be, A, like, actually surprisingly good in a pinch, and B, so motherfucking loyal and just, like, present.
0: Neville's just clutch. He's like like the guy who's been bricking threes all night, but then when you really need him to make one in crunch time, swish.
2: And Luna is the only one that knows about the Festrals, which is how they get there. So thank God Luna's in the forest. Yeah. Otherwise, like, literally, what is the plan? Clutch. Harry is yeah.
0: getting way more help from Dumbledore's army than LeBron has gotten all playoffs.
2: This is going to come out, like, after the finals have started. So that might be kind of belated. But whatever. Last night was the very good, fun game against Boston.
0: It was not a good game, but...
2: I was the second half was fun. The
0: Gryffindors won, so it's all right.
2: Yeah. Sorry if this, like, weirdly alienates, like, half our listeners, but <laughs> we both really... I don't actually really even care that much about Cleveland. I fucking love LeBron James.
0: Albus LeBron Potter. Yeah. You were named after two ultimate badasses, and one of them was the greatest of all time. I like how this works structurally, because we've talked about this a little in the past... In the first book, the Golden Trio go on the big adventure. At the end of the book, then it's Harry and Ron in Chamber of Secrets. Then it's Harry and Hermione in Azkaban. Then it's Harry by himself, basically in Goblet of Fire. Now it's Harry and everybody. It just shows that he he needs he needs his like whole community, basically.
2: Well, it's also really great because he trained him up. Yeah, it's he like did. Showing that Dumbledore's army was eminently worth doing.
0: Right. Okay. Next question: How fast? Are Thestrals?
1: Okay. He looked down at the back of his Thestral's glossy black head and swallowed. Ministry of Magic, visit at entrance, London, then, he said uncertainly. Uh, if you know where to go. For a moment, his Thestral did nothing at all. Then with a sweeping movement that nearly unseated him, the wings on either side extended. The horse crouched slowly and then rocketed upwards so fast and so steeply that Harry had to clench his arms and legs tightly around the horse to avoid sliding backward over its bony rump. He closed his eyes and put his face down into the horse's silky mane as they burst through the topmost branches of the trees and soared out into a blood-red sunset. Harry did not think he had ever moved so fast. The Thestral streaked over the castle, its wide wings hardly beating. The cooling air was snapping Harry's face. Eyes screwed up against the rushing wind. He looked around and saw his five fellows soaring along behind him. Each of them bent as low as possible into the neck of their Thestral to protect themselves from his slipstream. They were over the Hogwarts grounds. They had passed Hogsmeade. Harry could see mountains and gullies below them. In the falling darkness, Harry saw small collections of lights as they passed over more villages then a winding road on which a single car was beetling its way home through the hills. This is bizarre, Harry heard Ron yell from somewhere behind him, and he imagined how it must feel to be speeding along at this height with no visible means of support.
2: Yeah, this is one of those moments where, and these happen kind of like in the later books, where you're introduced to something that is so useful and easy that you're like, why haven't we been riding thestrels all along? How are we only now finding out that there are invisible airplane speed horses <laughs> that we yeah, can just ride? They go
0: from Scotland to London in like a couple of
2: hours. I
0: think it I think we're meant to think less than that, even. I I don't know. That's uh,
2: first of all, they would be dead <laughs> if they went that fast. Um, in the open air. No, they're not
0: flying it like I'm gonna show my terror I'm gonna show my like woeful lack of physics knowledge. But they're not like flying at altitude.
2: I guess that's true. They're but not
0: cru- like thestrals don't cruise at thirty six thousand feet or whatever a Boeing does.
2: But wouldn't the speed be like? I mean, it would hurt I to fly that- through open air at that rate.
0: I mean, it doesn't sound comfortable, but you could do it. Like you I drive with the top down on your convertible.
2: They're flying a lot faster than you drive in your convertible.
0: That's true. They're and there's going no like, windshield.
2: And there's no windshield, they're going like thousands of miles an hour. I mean not
0: thou- I mean, jet airplanes don't even go thousands of miles an hour. They how like many miles is, miles is it?
2: How many miles on, is it from Scotland fine. to London?
0: So Edinburgh, Scotland, which I will just put Hogwarts roughly in the vicinity, is about four hundred miles from London. So They get there in the course of an evening, so they're going...
2: Hundreds of miles an hour. Hundreds of
0: miles an hour. They're going
2: at least three or four times the speed that you would be going in a convertible. How fast do brooms go? Not that fast. It takes (laughs) them forever just to get from like Little Winging to To the the, center of London, like London City Center. Mm -hmm. They go like how fast cars go, maybe even slower. Yeah. So why aren't they riding thestrals everywhere?
0: Because it's terrifying, because unless you've literally seen a human die... It's just like you're rocketing through the air on nothing. This sounds horrifying.
2: Oh yeah, it sounds awful, but it's also very, very efficient.
0: Incredibly convenient. They just
2: and the thestrals are super chill, and they have like crazy senses of direction, and you can just leave them outside the ministry, and no one will notice. Unless some muggle is like coming back from the hospital having just like said gu- goodbye to Gran and they're like, what the ever-living fuck is that? <laughs> I wonder if muggles can see... Muggles seth- probably can't. They probably can't see Thestrals. Uh, just a wizard thing. Thestrals are cool though. They're like gentle and creepy, which is like an aesthetic I really relate to.
0: They're pretty, Um, I don't know. They're very like Tim Burton.
2: Yeah, they actually really are. They are, They they have sort of a... They've like got a, a Nightmare
0: Before Christmas vibe right. to them.
2: Like cute and scary uh-huh. is like their whole deal. Yeah. It does sound deeply uncomfortable It sounds very them.
0: uncomfortable. Wizards have a lot of uncomfortable forms of transportation. We
2: have talked about uh, that. There's a lot
0: of grundle pounding in the wizarding world.
2: Do most people know what a grundle is? It Google it. Yeah. We're not going to describe it. Google grundle.
0: <laughs> Maybe don't Google grundle.
2: I don't know. I just think it'll tell you what it is. A lot of
0: grundle pain between brooms and thestrals.
2: It's basically what the part of your body that you are imagining, yeah, would hurt on a thestral or a broom. Ouch!
0: Grundlewald.
2: <laughs> Maybe we should call the episode Grundlewald. Grundlewald's Revenge. Um. Okay. They fucking take the thestrals to the Ministry and like, just again, but what? so much worse. What was
0: Harry's plan here? What I, I think I said this in the recap. Is his the plan. His plan was to walk through the front door of the Ministry of and Magic and just be like,
2: "Oi." Lovo, where are you?
0: Presumably he was expecting somebody to be at the front desk.
2: And what was he going to tell them? Like, Like,
0: hey, I have to fight the Dark Lord. (laughs) Hi, I'm Harry Potter. I'm like persona non grata with the magical government. Can you please let me into the most highly restricted area of your...
2: The entire government. The
0: entire government, So I can have a duel. So I can just poke around and see if everything's like copacetic down there. (laughs) Um... Also, Ginny, Neville, and Luna, have they been informed about all the details of the plan? Because the plan is rescuing Sirius Black from literal Voldemort.
2: No, they know. They're brave as shit. I know, but holy crap! Well, it's so funny because, you know, my first question was kind of like, what, they're just going to go in there and fight Lovo? And then I'm like, wait, that's what they've done for four books. I mean, That has always been the plan. The plan is like, go down in the scary place where they're hiding and just... Fucking figure it out.
0: I mean it was the plan in Sorcerer's Stone, so uh, you know, why change the game plan?
2: But now, like, they know all these Harry's Death just Eaters like, are escaped. Pass like Pass Me the Rock. There's more than just Slovo there. Like, I can't obviously, like, all these fucking other baddies are gonna be helping him.
0: Harry is fifteen, so you I know think he's, thinks he's invincible. He, he's showing some some teenage decision making oh, yeah. uh, here. It's like, alright.
2: Um... Me
0: against the world, which it kind of is.
2: Well, yeah, he's not wrong. It's just, like, what I mean, I guess what else was he going to do, but, like... Yeah, I
0: mean, McGonagall's out of commission. Dumbledore is in an undisclosed location.
2: He could find Dumbledore, I believe. Tell... Well, he tried to tell Snape. I don't know. The whole fucking thing is just a whole fucking thing.
0: This is a terrible plan.
2: It's not a plan, is the thing. It's 0% a plan. They don't even, like, put out, like, a watch.
0: Maybe he's... Ex- Jenny
2: is... Harry's kind of like Ginny, like stay like stay put, you keep watch. And she's like, and then what? (laughs) And he's like, Ah, cool, good question. Bye. And like they don't come up with an and then what? They just literally like go row by row in like snow globe room and are just like, serious? Are you getting tortured down there? No? Good. Okay. Like, what's the plan?
0: Uh, I don't know.
2: The Department of Mysteries itself is pretty cool.
0: Great set design here by by rolling after we raked her over the coals for uh other choices in these chapters. Uh
2: They were bad choices.
0: I think this is a really neat location. We've got wizarding Area 51 here. I like how unclear it is what the various unspeakables are doing in each room. Like you just have the creepy tank full of brains which actually if you put your hand in is spaghetti. <laughs> cold spaghetti
2: <laughs> i also like that it's genuinely sinister because that kind of is true of like real top secret government yeah, shit it's like what the
0: fuck is going like, on here they're
2: doing something really really weird in there you know and probably like not legal i just
0: i keep expecting like jeff goldblum to like say some ominous warning about how i don't know life will find a way or something
2: this is not like Jurassic They're Park. They're
0: tinkering with things they shouldn't be, maybe.
2: No. No, more Jeff Goldblum
0: out. and Independence Day.
2: Yes. More Jeff Goldblum and Independence Day. You know what? I really wish Jeff Goldblum was in the Harry Potter movies. He's I know he's British. American. I don't care.
0: Maybe he'll be in the Fantastic <laughs> Have you ever series? seen a
2: movie where you were like, Jeff Goldblum would make this worse? <laughs> no, you absolutely have not. False.
1: He marched straight at the door, now facing him, the others following close behind him set his left hand against its cool, shining surface, raised his wand ready to strike the moment it opened, and pushed. It swung open easily. After the darkness of the first room, the lamps hanging low on golden chains from this ceiling gave the impression that this long, rectangular room was much brighter, though there were no glittering, shimmering lights such as Harry had seen in his dreams. The place was quite empty except for a few desks, and in the very middle of the room an enormous glass tank of deep green water, big enough for all of them to swim in, which contained a number of pearly white objects that were drifting around lazily in the liquid. What are those things? whispered Ron. Dunno, said Harry. Are they fish? breathed Ginny. Aquavirious maggots, said Luna excitedly. Dad said the Ministry were breeding. No, said Hermione. She sounded odd. She moved forward to look through the side of the tank. They're brains. Brains? Yes. I wonder what they're doing with them. Harry joined her at the tank. Sure enough, there could be no mistake now that he saw them at close quarters. Glimmering eerily, they drifted in and out of sight in the depths of the green water, looking something like slimy cauliflowers. Let's get out of here, said Harry. This isn't right. We need to try another door. What do you think they're doing with the brains?
2: I don't know. Well, that's the thing, because, like, wizards don't really do science. This is like...
0: That's what I like about it. It's like wizard science. What are they studying here? How are they doing it? I
2: don't think they're really studying anything. It doesn't seem like an experiment. It seems like some kind of, like, device. Mm -hmm. I don't know, whatever it is. That bird thing is cool, but also, like, what is it?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Also, Harry should maybe turn around when they're... Is no one working at the Department of Mysteries? Yeah,
2: this would definitely have, like, night guards.
0: Yeah, it is too
2: quiet, dude. But nothing's going to make him turn around. No, I
0: I, I know. Well, he's seen so much unreal shit already that he's probably just like...
2: He's just barreling ahead. He's the
0: epitome of going with it.
2: Well, it is interesting to have him have this moment where he's like, I was... Very wrong, and now it's not okay. Yeah, I and know. then boom, instantly it's not okay,
0: right? Well, there's been so many little outs up until now. It's like, true, they keep getting bailed out. Like, they go into the forest, the centaurs show up on cue, and then the centaurs are gonna kill them. But then Grop shows up and save well, kind of saves them all. Uh, then they don't know how to get to London, but then Luna chimes in and says oh we have these magic death horses that will take us ghost riders in the sky (laughs) as it were you know so they just uh, they, they keep they get to the ministry uh they can miraculously get in so they keep getting bailed out bailed out bailed out and then they don't
2: and then we right we get to this moment where it's just like the jig is up
0: yeah they run out of luck
2: and this is just when he says like ah, good Potter, now turn around carefully and hand that to me. It's just, like, all the oxygen, like, flies out of this book. And you're just like, oh, shit. Like, it's over for these guys. Like, it's they're, It's done. They've finally, like, reached the moment where there is no out. We're
0: going to end it at book five. I mean, it's not no, I know.
2: over for all of them. But, like, there isn't an escape hatch anymore.
0: Yeah. Uh, Rowling got a taste of blood with Cedric Diggory and you know someone's going down.
2: Oh guys. <laughs> we actually only have um We're in the
0: blo- we're in the bloodlust phase of Rowling's uh, writing career. That now, phase has never ended. Where she just loves killing people off.
2: And then like sort of half-heartedly apologizing for it, but like shut up, you did it. <laughs> you can't apologize. I mean, I guess sure she can. It doesn't help. And then oh no, and it's over.
0: Yeah. Good clip, another good cliffhanger for it's this week's true. episode.
2: Who's your unsung hero?
0: My unsung hero is Grop partly because yeah, he shows up in the nick of time, but mostly he's showing real progress at learning English when Harry and Hermione were skeptical that he would. you know he's able to communicate a basic sentence.
2: The fact that Harry can't figure out what Grop means when he says hagger he's like over oh, that's and over. a
0: language I have never heard before. Dude, use context.
2: Harry is such a goddamn bonehead in this book because they don't learn critical reading and like rhetoric ever. It's true; they haven't learned like phonics. He can't make like
0: inferences. No,
2: not at all. No, he's not. He's not the brightest bulb in this (laughs) particular book. My Unsung Heroes are Luna and the Thestrals, which by the way, if that isn't already a wizard rock band, it super fucking should be. So there you go. I'm handing that to you for free. Luna for being so into oddities that she knows all about Thestrals. And the Thestrals for being really good rides and cool friends. And because I always want my Unsung Hero to at least partly be an animal.
0: Mythical animals.
2: Yeah. In this case. I want a thestral, kind of. I, I don't know what I would feed it.
0: What would it be like to ride one if you couldn't
2: see I mean, it? I could see a thestral. I so could see a thestral you. too.
0: But if you couldn't see it,
2: I don't know. That would be super wild, scary. I mean, it would just be like being on. It would be like Superman's Le- invisible plane,
0: basically. That sounds scary too. That's true. It's like Superman's in control of his own like actions. That's true. You would just be hurtling through space.
2: You'd be able to feel it. To be fair, that's true. It would be trippy, but it's not like you wouldn't know that you were on something that's, solid. Like, you can that's feel true. the Thestrals. And it's not like
0: trippy things don't happen to wizards all the time.
2: They do magic. So invisibility is, like, kind of the least of their work. Presumably,
0: if you fell off, you could use your wand to, like, halt yourself from falling to earth. Like, there's got to be, like, a parachute spell or something.
2: Yeah, Dumbledore Dumbledore does it when Harry falls off his broom after the Dementors.
0: But you'd have to remember the fucking words while you're hurtling to Earth. So, I don't know. That might be challenging. This week's episode is brought to you by the Department of Mysteries. The truth is out there. Visit our offices at 221B Baker Street and Whitehaven Mansions.
2: Wait, how do you know that?
0: Those are the addresses for... Sherlock Holmes, and Hercule Poirot in London.
2: Hell yeah!
0: Department of Mysteries.
2: That's really good. Getting solved. (laughs) The Department of Mysteries getting solved. (laughs) The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you so choose. You are welcome to interact with us on social media. We are at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us DMs. You can also email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. And next week in the penultimate episode of the book of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, because we also have a movie mini to do, which I'm very excited about. Anyway, next week's chapters, second to last, are Beyond the Veil, and the only one he ever feared. Thanks...
1: ...amigos? And then, from right behind them, a drawling voice said, Very good, Potter. Now turn around, nice and slowly, and give that to me. It's a trap! (laughs) I-I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should. Now! Roared a voice in Harry's ear, and a thick, hairy arm descended from thin air and dragged him upright. Now why are you people here? shouted a wild-looking black centaur, whom Harry recognized as Bane. Search him, then I will kill you. Please, said Hermione breathlessly, please don't attack us. We don't think like her. We only came in here because we hoped you'd drive her off for us. This gives you power over me? We're not going to say anything like that, Harry shouted. We know you didn't do anything because we wanted you to. The gray centaur threw back his head, his back legs stamping furiously, and bellowed, I will show you where I have made my home whilst preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. A roar of approval met these words. <laughs>